We've got a lot of ground to cover. Communication is not an easy topic. And while the others are coming in from, from break, uh, there was a question, uh, 60 countries, uh, adoptive foster scenarios, spanking children is illegal. Um, how should a Christian handle this? Boy, that would be a, a neat topic for a round table discussion, wouldn't it, as to how do we deal with that? Um, how, are you asking how we would deal with it? And I think that's probably the light of the question. Don't have a chapter and verse on this, but um, corporal punishment properly, properly administered from loving parents is not sinful. <laughs> In fact, is if we discipline without teeth, and corporal punishment is part of that, that, that whole option that's there. I don't bring the atomic bomb out every time there's an incident, and I look at spanking, corporal punishment as being that, is there smaller coming up through. But what do you do with the fact that if you spank a child in Walmart, you're liable to be reported? Well, don't spank them in Walmart. Yeah. You may have to make a trip home. And you may have to spend time at home. Um, that would be my off the, off the top of the head advice. I don't have children that are that age any longer. I have great grandkids that are that way. And, uh, you know, sometimes their little sinful hearts act out. And sometimes you have to address it. And I understand that the further the distance is between the penalty and uh, what you're trying to teach them, the greater the opportunity is for them to forget about it or for you to forget about it, which would be worse. Um, so I would say, I would say, yeah, just have to handle it carefully, privately. Um, doesn't mean that I stop. It just means that I'm very cautious and careful and loving. There are other options besides corporal punishment that can be effective. In fact, as with our two children, I found early on that um, with our daughter, she rarely got a, a, a loving swat, except when she was, I mean, not when she was real small, but I mean, just, you know, a, a toddler, whatever it is. Because all I had to do is say to her in a firm voice, Lori, she's crushed. I could hold her and hug her and correct her verbally, and, and that's fine. Our son, however, <laughs> uh, but it wasn't, it, it's, it's just the heart of the child and how do you reach the heart of the child and what's the most effective means to do that. Um, and I'm just suggesting to you that there may be more effective ways of dealing with it. Don't think that corporal punishment is the only thing. However, however, it's not wrong and it's not unloving, administered from consistent loving parents. So does that answer the question? Uh, perhaps maybe for some. And then five major conflicts. Does biblical counselors have similar conflicts? Oh, we have conflicts all the time. You get two of us in the same room and you got disagreement. You know, we're Baptist. <laughs> you know, it's the way we live. Uh, well, conflicts, not necessarily. They're, they're not conflicts. Um, there are differences, and I think at ACBC, you will see a spectrum. When you take your exams, you'll notice that there's a spectrum. Different views on the church, different views on baptism, 
Even different views on marriage, divorce and remarriage, there are differing views within ACBC uh, counselors. They're well-meaning people, and, and I respect them. They're just wrong if they don't agree with me. That's, that's the way it is. Okay, enough said. I'm just ribbing you a little bit, okay? Now, well, communication, and again, um, can't read that far back, but this one's kind of blurry, it's kind of pixelized. But what wives say and what the husbands hear, you know, it can be two different things. Go to the store, lay down the mulch, wash and wax the car, get the kids at school, rinse some videos and finish the rest of the dishes. And what does he hear? He hears, go lay down and get some rest, you know. Yeah, never had that one. How about this one? Do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when I talk? You know, ouch. Oh. All right, then the workman's. The Warkmans, they are trying to find new ways to communicate, and I think in our marriages, sometimes it gets to be an interesting endeavor. It's a moving target. But at any rate, at any rate, uh, relationships, good relationships are not built on the absence of conflict. In fact is, if you're a believer, you have the wherewithal in God's word to establish some good relationships and yet there will be conflict. You won't have two sinners, two inherent sinners living in the same house, but what there won't be conflict. So you can just count on it. Good communication is, is a necessary part of that. In Ephesians 4, which is where we're going to be, so if you've got your Bibles, please open them to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell us about our position in Christ, okay? Without taking a lot of time to develop the context, so you've got your position in Christ. In chapter 4, Paul begins to expand that and say, okay, in the light of who we are in Christ, here's how it looks in life. Here's how you are to live. Uh, and so he begins in chapter 4, with a familiar passage. Um, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you're called. Now he's talking about salvation. He's talking about salvation. That's the vocation wherein you're called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So he begins by saying, you who are in Christ, now live worthy of who you are in Christ. With all lowliness, which is the attitude, and I always try to encourage counselees when we're working through this passage, talking about communication and problem solving, I want them to know that these are attitudes that they need to cultivate within themselves. One is lowliness, which is humility. I could be wrong, all right, which might be a good position to start with. I am not God. I don't understand everything. A spirit of humility, lowliness, lowliness. Meekness has the idea of gentleness. Gentleness as opposed to being wild. And, you know, again, we lived on the farm when growing up, and we used to have barn cats, and we had house cats. You petted the house cats. They were the ones that were around your ankles. You did not touch the barn cats. They were furious, you know. Well, gentleness is the house cat. And the opposite of that, meekness would be the barn cat. Every time you try to confront them, it's the claws come out and the hissing and, and so on. It's the wild animal. 
uh, as opposed to a gentle domesticated animal. Long-suffering just simply means to suffer long. Just be willing to hang in there with each other. Forbearing one another literally is putting up with each other. That's what Paul begins the chapter by saying. And then notice what he says in endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We have unity in Christ. We are all in Christ. Endeavoring to keep the unity was just simply means it's an earnest, intentional effort for you and I to live out who we are in Christ because of the damage of sin, yes. And so Paul is encouraging us to intentionally seek to solve problems because unity is important. It's important to him. Uh, it's important as we, as we reflect God and his, and his holiness. So when you get to Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about how to live out this godly life and he talks about the putting off and putting on, and, and again, for the sake of time, without explaining the whole context of it, we're going to jump down to verse 25, and we're going to look at verse 25 through uh, verses 32. Um, Therefore, putting away lying, let every, man's, let every one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Oh, I really have to back up. It's... it's um, um, well, verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the lust. Many would see this as a participle, meaning having put off the old man, you were a new creation in Christ, so you put off old man. Now you need to put off old man ways is going to be his application. Be renewed in the spirit, put on the new man. Uh, having put on the new man, we're a new creature in Christ, the renewing. So you put off old man ways, you put on new man ways, and the renewing of the mind is the, is the working of the Holy Spirit and that whole, then that whole dynamic, all right? Now he's going to illustrate that in verse 25 through 32. Maybe that helps just a little bit. Therefore, putting away lying, let every man, every one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor putting, uh, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may minister, or that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Those are the illustrations of his putting off and putting on, you know, and the renewing of the mind uh, in that process. So, when he gets to verse 28, which we're not going to cover because we're going to pull out of this these principles as he's using them for illustrations, and we're going to call them four rules of communication. Verse 29, not verse 29, but verse 28, you can see how let him that stole steal no more. When is a thief not a thief? When he stops stealing? No, it's not when he stops stealing. 
It's when he learns to work with his hands so that he has things that he can give to other people. He's working out of a heart of love. That's when he's not a thief. You see, he's putting off, putting on. Uh, those are the important things. So again, we're overlooking that one because we're just trying to pull out four rules of communication to try to help counselees learn how to solve problems. Four, I think, are easy for them to understand. It's a simple way of, of uh, helping them to have some good foundations for communication, okay? He begins by, he begins verse 25, put away lying, let each speak truth with his neighbor. And again, old man, and I explained it, the old man has been put away positionally in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. And so functionally, we're to put off old man ways. It's not just lying, it's you speak. Do you see that? Let each one of you speak truth. So there is a, an urgency and encouragement that you need to speak truth. People can't read your minds. And so if there's a problem, you're going to have to help them see that there is a problem. They can't guess. Well, you know what happens when you second guess people. You'll end up more than likely misunderstanding them. Uh, honesty is more than just not lying. It, honesty is not just being nitpicky, saying everything that I think as an opinionated nitpicker. That's not what Paul is after here. But he is saying you need to speak. And when you speak, you need to speak the truth in love. The truth in love. John Broger, who is a past leader of the biblical counseling movement, he used to say that uh, Speaking the truth without love was like doing surgery without an anesthetic. So if you think about it, it's kind of like, have you ever had a person try to correct you and they had no relationship with you at all? Um, you know, it's not loving. They're yelling at you and calling you names. It's hard, to, it's hard to accept. It's like, yeah, it's like surgery without an anesthetic. I think that's a good, pretty good word picture. So when you're communicating, you need to be communicating with an attitude or motivation of love. Problems cannot be solved unless they're expressed. Nobody is going to know there's a problem unless somebody says there's a problem. Uh, there's an elephant in the room and everybody dances around it, but nobody admits that there's an elephant in the room. If you're going to deal with the elephant in the room, you better admit it. There's a, there's a, there's a problem. Okay, they cannot be solved. How to speak the truth, we're going to get to in verse 29, so I'm just going to bypass that to the next point, which is dishonesty is out. Dishonesty is out. If we're going to be problem solvers, okay, and that's basically what this lecture is about, being a problem solver. I'm not talking about the exceptional issues. The exceptional issue would be this. Does that mean I have to tell the truth about Christmas giving? You know, I bought my wife a present. And she says, you know, what did you buy me? And I have to be honest with her. And so I just tell her, you know, I bought you the green dress. You know, no, that's, we're not talking about those kind of situations in which we're not trying to solve a problem. We're trying to be loving and create a little bit of anticipation. And so we keep her in suspense. I'm not telling you what I got you for Christmas, you know. 
and you, you play the little game a little bit, you understand that's not the basis of these four rules of communication. We're not talking about that exception. We're not talking about the extreme situation in which there would be a criminal break into my house and I tell Mary Ann, somebody's in the house, get under the bed. And she slides under the bed and I confront the criminal and he gets a knife to my throat and he says, where is your wife? Oh, I gotta be honest. And so I'm just going to tell him, she's under the bed, you know? No, 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 no. He's not entitled to that information, okay? He's just not entitled to it. I'm not gonna lie, but he's not entitled to the information. You come to me for counseling, we're sitting in that counseling room, and you walk out of that counseling room, and somebody sees you walk out of counseling with me, and they ask me, well, why was, why was Bill in there talking to you? You know what my response is going to be? Well, I gotta be honest, and I, no, no. He's not entitled to that information, right? I'm not gonna lie. But he's not entitled to the information. So we're not talking about those exceptions. Okay, there are those situations. Some people aren't entitled to the information. I don't have to tell everything that I know about everybody. That would be gossip. So he's not talking about that. So, all right, examples of dishonesty. Examples of dishonesty would be outright deceit. Outright deceit would be, for example, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I had a best friend whose name was Phil. Phil and I were both Christians, but we brought out the worst in each other. Just to be honest with you. And so let's take a Friday night. Friday night, I'm sitting at the supper table. Dad says to me, Phil, I don't want you at Phil's house tonight, okay? Uh, uh, okay. You hear me, son? Yeah, I <laughs> heard you loud and clear, Dad. I'm uh, not going to go to Phil's house tonight. Get in the car, Friday night, where do I go? I don't go to Phil's house. I call Phil up and we meet at the local restaurant. We hang out all night, man, it's cool. You know, get home Saturday morning. Dad says to me, you weren't at Phil's house, were you? No, Dad, I wasn't at Phil's house. You know, do you hear what I've done? I've intentionally led him to believe I had obeyed him. That's deceit. That's deceit. That's the kind of thing. You're purposefully telling a fraction of the truth. I really wasn't at Phil's house. We had a house rule. The kids were not to run in the house. Bouncing off of the coffee table a few times taught us that perhaps running in the house wasn't wise. Okay, so... We had a house rule. You may, may not, doesn't matter. Okay, so our son is fastly moving down the hallway. I say to him, Jeff, come back here. What's the house rule? No running, in, no running in the house, Dad, no running in the house. What were you doing? I wasn't running. What were you doing? You were fastly moving down the hallway. Here was his explanation. Well, running, you have one leg off of the ground, okay? Walking, both feet are on the ground at the same time. I was just walking fast, Dad. Okay, well, all right, you know. He had me on a technicality, but fast moving down the hallway became the second house rule. 
Yeah, you got to outsmart them. All right. Conflict between body language and tone. Body language and tone. You know how that goes. You can say you're so smart and you can inflect that thing to say the exact opposite of what the words are meaning. Disguising the message. And again, backdoor communication is not necessarily sinful. Sometimes it's, it's good to soften some kind of confrontation, whatever. Um, you know, the illustration that pops into my mind is when, when our daughter was home as a teenager, she used to dress me on Sunday mornings. You know, what that means is you don't get out of the house, Dad, unless you pass my approval. Again, I'm just kidding you. So there were times when I'd walk out and she would say something like this, Dad, Dad, you're not wearing that to church, are you? You know, well, what did she mean? She means she didn't want me to wear that to church. Backdoor communication, again, that wasn't a major issue. Um, and problem solving, though, sometimes, again, isn't it true that people dance around the problem without actually just saying what it is? Get it off your chest. Put it on the table so we can deal with it. I don't know for sure what you're saying, but I think there's something wrong here, okay? We need to talk about it. All right. Uh, dishonesty is out. So sometimes disguising it or softening it, you probably need to carefully, gently, lovingly just say it. Exaggeration, hyperbole. Hyperboles are great verbal tools and grammatical tools. You know, Jesus uses them. I am the door. I am the bread of life. You know, uh, he's using those similarities and so on. But he also talks about, well, those wouldn't be exactly hyperboles, would they? They would be something else. In, in my brain, I'm thinking, well, the best illustration would be is the fudge overboard at the restaurant. You know, I mean, it's like a mountain of fudge brownie with ice cream on top with fudge cascading like Niagara Falls down the sides. That's an hyperbole, right? Um, so sometimes I think red flag words, red flag are never and always, right? When your wife says to you, you never pick your socks up. You never, where does the argument go? Does it go over the actual picking up of the socks or the number of times? Honey, I picked them up two weeks ago. I know I did. You know, I'm going to defend myself to the death. I, you can't say never. You know, that it, it ends up with your energy spent right there. So listen, cut out the red flag words. Um, they don't help. They're good in places where you're trying to make a point, but if you're in a conflict or you're in trying to deal with the situation, you probably need to be very honest. Yesterday, I found your socks on the floor and you hadn't picked them up. And I think the day before I had to pick them up too. Do you understand that that's, that's what I'm after? Secondly would be keeping current, keeping current. Keeping current is simply the verse that says, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Deal with conflicts in a timely manner. Don't let them build until they're just catastrophic 
you know. Lying is sin, but anger may not be. Okay? Yeah. Be angry, but don't sin. Lying is sin. Anger may not be. Anger is energy used to solve a problem. That would be a good way of thinking of a working definition. Anger is designed to drive us to a solution, even though we're going to have a whole session on anger at next, next on you know, the next weekend conference, so I'm not going to go into much detail on anger. But anger, if you think of it, is divinely designed energy. We made a judgment. We're judging something. We're evaluating something as being uh, not good. And because of that judgment, we experience the emotions of anger, that energy, all right? So anger is sinful, is sinful when it's used to attack others or self. Attack others would be let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking, like in verse 31 and 32. But in verse 31, um, let all that be put away, put on, be kind to one another, and tenderhearted, and forgiving even as God in Christ forgave you. That's attacking others as opposed to where we need to be or self, which would be stewing about the problem, nor uh, let the sun go down on your wrath. When you have anger and it continues on for a period of time, it's really called bitterness. And bitterness poisons your relationships. It poisons yourself. Again, um, Bitterness, anger held overnight, over and over and over, um, builds into a poison. It's kind of, the old saying is, you know, of course, bitterness is like drinking poison, waiting for your enemy to die. Um, yeah, it's not going to work. It just poisons you, your relationships, the, uh, the sinful anger. Anger is sinful when it attacks people. Uh, rather than the problem. And we'll look at that in the next one as well. Failure to solve problems daily gives Satan a foothold. Have you ever noticed that when you get crossways with someone, you notice all the single flaws that they have, every single thing? I know as a pastor for years, it's interesting that when somebody got crossways with me for something, you know, I'm perfect. I don't understand why anybody would get crossways with me, but once in a while, somebody would that all of a sudden, everything I did was skewed some way. It just didn't work for them. I'm sorry. I just can't live under your whatever. And uh, yeah, it's just that way. It, when we have unresolved conflicts, when we have unresolved conflicts, what happens is it, it just gets between you and that other person. And if you, if you have not had it happen to you, uh, surely you need to look at your heart and see that perhaps maybe it's true when you, when you have that with other people that you just seem to notice. Everything seems to be magnified after that. Everything. You forgive them, you know, and you're very gentle and so on until there's that crossways thing and then after that everything else is magnified yeah okay stop clamming up and blowing up clamming up would be giving people the cold shoulder blowing up as mount vesuvius the donald duck kind of a thing so clamming up is cutting off communication we might do that 
again, not tears during a conversation doesn't mean it's manipulative tears. However, it can be. It can be. Um, so I don't want to be too hard on this one. Some people are just very tender. Um, it can be a way of saying, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It, if it's manipulative. So cutting off communication by threatening an explosion would be just as bad. Uh, you, you know, you just, just blow up. If you mention that again, I'm divorcing you. You do that again, you know, you throw the, you throw the atomic bomb out there, uh, whatever that may mean in your relationship, the divorce word or, or whatever it is, I'm leaving you, whatever threatening an explosion. What it is is cutting off communication, and that's what you want to avoid. Stop clamming up or blowing up. Bottom lining, that's all I have to say. I'm not talking about this anymore. You got it? That's it. All right. They don't want to talk about it anymore. Now, there are times, there are times, there are times when in counseling, you have to bottom line somebody, but you better be careful because when you say this is the last word on it, are you really saying this is the last word on it? Or are you saying this is the truth and I'm sticking to it? <laughs> and if you're saying this is the truth and I'm sticking to it, okay, all right. But be careful, just be careful because you could easily shut off continuing conversation. But sometimes, sometimes you just have to, you just have to, um, that's just life. Deal with a problem today. Timely, don't let the sun go down in your wrath kind of a thing. I would say wisdom would say deal with one problem at a time. You're not going to be able to deal with two problems, you know. Um, uh, be a good illustration. Okay, curfew. Do you have curfews anymore? I don't know. My dad had a curfew. Actually, he never, we never had curfews. We just knew. <laughs> we, he didn't set a time. We just knew <laughs> we need to be in at a certain time. He never said it but we knew. So let's say you had a curfew through the school week. It's by the six o'clock news. That's what I told my daughter her curfew was if she went out there. No, I'm just kidding you. Okay, 10 o'clock. All right, okay. You go out with your friends, be home at 10 o'clock. Okay, they come in at 10.05 or 10.15. You know, you got to push it. You're a teenager. It's what, it's what life is about. As a teenager, pushing the limits, you know, because, yeah, okay. All right, so then... So I'm, in, I'm walking in, at, uh, they're walking in at 10.15, and so you confront them, and you say, you know what the rule is? Yes, I, I didn't, you know, what, what, what was the rule again, Dad? What was the rule? Um, 10 o'clock, okay. Yeah, I, I, I remember the rule, it's 10 o'clock. Okay, what time is it? Well, it's 10.15, okay. So what happens with 10.15 is you remember what the punishment was, okay. You are grounded. Dad, grounded? You're nothing but a hypocrite. You know, you say things and you don't do it. What do you mean, I'm a hypocrite and don't do it? What are you talking about? Well, two weeks ago, you, do you hear what's happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can't deal with two problems. No, sorry, honey, we'll talk about me being a hypocrite at another time. Right now, we're talking about 1015 and the rule. <laughs> okay. Uh, one problem at a time. Don't gunny sack. Uh, okay, gunny sack. Okay, very quick. I got to describe what a gunny sack is because nobody knows what a gunny sack is anymore. Okay, a sack. Just picture a sack. You're just hanging on this sack. 
and this person irritates you, your mate, brother, sister, roommate, whatever it is, you know. So they irritate you, and so you say, yeah, okay, let it go for right now. And then they irritate you again, you know, two or three days later, because that's just life. Okay, not going to say anything again. I'm going to put it in my sack. And then you get into this little discussion with them at the end of the month, you know, or wherever it is. And, and they're winning the argument. And so you reach into your gunny sack and you say, well, you, <laughs> you know, I had to laugh my grandparents, God loved them, but they used to bicker with each other about the craziest things. Who turned the light switch off last, last night? You know, I mean, as if that's a big deal. It just seemed to be trivial things. Uh, gunny sacking, gunny sacking. Marianne and I worked with a couple that, that she actually, when they got into a tough tiff, she would reach into the gunny sack of things that happened when they were dating 39 years prior and throw them in his face. That's what I'm saying, don't do it. Don't bring up other problems unnecessarily. Yeah, that's the keeping one problem on the table at a time. Six questions to ask before confronting. And I'm just gonna put these up here. You've got them in your, um, whoops. You've got them in your handout. Do I have the facts right? A fool answers a matter before he's really heard it. Should I let love hide it? We're not ignoring sin when we let love hide it. What we're simply doing is that if you had a person who is struggling in, in many areas and they, it's expressed in many areas, they're not growing with a heart that loves Christ, okay? And, and it's worked out in several different things that they're behaving and doing and saying. Would you confront all of them? Or would you confront the main thing? And I'm hoping that what you would say is we'd confront the thing that's the biggest. And we're going to give him, her time to grow in some of these other areas. We're going to give a little bit of grace here, overlook it for the time being because we're working on this bigger issue. Parenting, you would, I could, if I had time, I could give you some illustrations there. Is my timing right? Is my timing right, you know? And Jay Adams used to tell the story, I remember it so well, is, is a, a wife and husband and wife getting into a spat before he leaves for work and she's starting through the housework. And, and so he leaves on a heated, you know, fervor and she's upset and so, after he leaves, she decides, you know, that's not the best thing. I'll fix him his favorite cake for dessert when he gets home, and we'll smooth it over that way. And he thinks at work, you know, as soon as I get home, I'm going to, to tell her, you know, that I'm, that I'm sorry and so on. And so she's busy with the kids and fussed all day long and, and so on. And so she forgot to watch the cake in the oven, and the cake is burning. And now when he's walking in the door, she's looking at the oven, and the smoke's rolling out of the oven. And he says to her, honey, we need to talk. Probably not the right time, okay. We've all had that experience, okay. Just wasn't the cake. Okay, is my attitude right? Am I really trying to help the other person? Have I prayed for God's help? Stick that one up on top, right? That would be number six. Um, we ought to seek God's wisdom, help 
trying to think through how do we word, are our words loving? How are they coming across? I've had to stop counseling on occasions and just say, listen, I've, I'm hearing myself. I'm sounding a little bit animated. How am I sounding, you know? Um, because I'm not really trying to talk down to you. I'm trying to love you, and I don't know for sure if my words are loving. Just to clarify, because sometimes I do get intense. Sometimes you can, you know, but not often, but sometimes. Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good to use of for the use of education that it may minister grace or impart grace, depending on the translation that you have, and not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Not, oh, no unwholesome word, no corrupt word. Okay, what would that be? That would be words that, words that attack a person's character. Um, that would be words that tear down, that hinder growth. Our tongue is a little member, but I'm telling you, it is... Um, uh, it, it, can, it can do a lot of damage. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know if that person ever lived, you know? <laughs> because words can leave deep scars. Um, Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. You know? But the word of the wise is health. Avoid words that cloud or bypass the issue Avoid words that grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that when we use tones of voice and words that do not help people understand what the problem is, that we're grieving the Holy Spirit? We're grieving him. When we use words that help the person understand what the problem is, we're making it easier for them to receive the truth. That's imparting grace to them. It makes it easier. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen anybody do in my life. Now, is it easy for you to hear that and to receive what's being said? No, because your character has been attacked. Your character has been attacked. It doesn't make it easier for you to receive the truth. Uh, we need to use words that, that do help the other person to receive truth. Use communication that encourages and edifies. It encourages and edifies. It doesn't mean that we're, we're encouraging sin, but it just means in the unity of the body as we are in Christ that we communicate with each other to help each other understand what is the problem and how can we work through that particular problem for unity. Words that edify. Words that zero in on the conflict. Words that help reach a solution. You know, it's, 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 it's not good to have an argument and then to assign blame just for the sake of assigning blame. Um, no, let's, let's work together as a team and as much as we figured out who may have been responsible for whatever, whatever, and who failed, let's figure out as a team how to make that not happen again, how to work together. 
Um, and this rule, of course, can be violated by your tone of voice and your body language. Fourth rule is act, don't react. Act, don't react. The reactions basically, again, here's a list of, of um, definitions in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and, and whoops, let me go back, uh, clamor. Okay, bitterness, wrath, and anger. And again, I really don't think that Paul is after here making distinctions, but I think it is interesting to notice the different distinctive words that he chooses to use. I think the emphasis of the passage is anger in all its sinful forms. It lists in the New Testament, Old Testament, are often more about not distinguishing between these things as it is encompassing all of it. It's the whole of it. It's all of sinful anger. But it is kind of interesting, isn't it? Bitterness, the refusal to treat someone as if they never hurt you. Wrath is the flaring outburst. A settled indignation would be um, the anger. A clamor is that harsh, contentious strife. Slander is speech that's injurious. Malice is that evil intent. Someday you're going to get yours, and I'm just going to be standing on the sidelines, you know, cheering on. That malice, um, that kind of evil intent. Yeah. The natural tendency in the garden, and again, you almost have to snicker nervously because we all do it when you read Genesis 3, 8 through 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That's hilarious, right? When you stop and think about the reality then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? Listen, when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. <laughs> he already knows where you are. He's asking you to come clean. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and hid, I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that... Uh, you should not eat. And then the man said, the woman you gave, did you hear it? Subtle. Uh, the woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree. Wouldn't you have liked to have been Eve standing there? Thank you. Thank you, Adam. You know? Yeah, well, yes, yeah, she did. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. It's, you know, the natural tendency is not to accept responsibility is to shift the blame, and that's what sinful anger does. The actions, of course, the actions would be the definition of kind, tender-hearted, um, and forgiving. And again, we have a whole session on forgiveness. Tender-hearted means that you, that you actually try to get in the other person's life and understand their, their plight, understand their grief, their heaviness. Uh, understand where they're coming from. Kind is polite and courteous, and that's the way we need to be treating. You, through God's Spirit, must learn to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. It doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally is verse 31. <laughs> that's what comes naturally. Yeah. Conflicts can be stopped when you don't react. 
if you don't react, it, it just prevents the conflict from continuing in that, in that escalation as far as that end of it goes. And then lastly, you realize you can't change the other person, but you can change yourself. And it may be hard, it may be hard, but nonetheless, in Christ, you can change and you can learn to communicate uh, in God-honoring ways rather than sinning in, in your response to that.